I am Elle Penelope, author of Epic Fantasy and Paranormal Romance, and welcome to My Imaginary Friends, a look behind the scenes of an author mapping the worlds in my head and making them a reality. Hello, friends. Today is Sunday, January 30th, 2022, and this is episode 156 of My Imaginary Friends. I'm Leslie. So this week's best thing is that I finished my synopsis. I have been working so hard for so long trying to get a handle on this story, and we are talking about my proposal for the second book in my Orbit contract. They are both standalone books, so this was a brand new idea that I had. I got the idea back in October while I was on my anniversary trip, and it's been several months of research, brainstorming, mind mapping. You know, we went over this last week. I won't go over it again, but... I did manage, once I'd set the deadline with my editor to actually give her the synopsis, that really lit a fire under me to bring all these things together and create a story that I can write. And I'm really happy with it. I know there's so much that I don't know yet, but I have an eight-page synopsis, and I emailed her and I was like, it's currently eight pages. You probably want something shorter, right? And she was like, well, you can send me the long version, but can you send me a short version as well? Like two to four paragraphs. And I'm like, two to four paragraphs. You know, most authors that I know hate writing synopsis. It's really difficult. We write long books because the ideas take a long time to tell you about. And so trying to distill that into any short form is really hard. So I find my synopses are often 7 to 15 pages, depending on the length of the book and the detail, of course, of the synopsis. I feel like a one-page synopsis tells you nothing about the book. Like, So that is my task today, because tomorrow I'm turning it into her. I, I have a pretty good version of the, the, long, the long version. I need to cut this down. And I know I need to cut it down. I, I mean, that's why I wrote her. I, I figured, like, she has to show it to other people. Those other people don't have time to read my eight pages. <laughs> so, yeah, that's the next step. But overall, I am so excited and happy that I managed to do it. At a certain point, you know, I had these notes everywhere, I had story ideas. I had ideas for the character and things they could do. And I just started visualizing it like a movie and writing that down. That's usually what it is, is telling myself the story. It's like, okay, this is what I see happening, the opening image. And I really, I close my eyes a lot and I I see it unfolding in my mind. And when I see it like a movie, it helps with like the pacing. It's like, okay, now they're going to have a scene with this and we're going to cut away to here and tell this part of the story. And we, and the audience needs to know this. And books are very different from films because, you know, there's a visual aspect and then Obviously, you have more internalization with a story that's written, but I, I have gotten feedback that my you know, books feel very cinematic and they're very visual because that's how I do it. I see everything that happens. And before I write a scene every day, I have to visualize it. If I can't, if I can't see it, then I can't really write it. So that is done, that very painful process. <laughs> And now we go into the next part of the painful process, which is going to be the first draft. In my morning writing co-working session, um, we were talking about how writing is work. It's hard work. It's a job. And sometimes it's not always super fun. Like there's, there's certain things that I love about it and certain things that are a slog, like with any job. And I don't know if synopsis is a slog. I actually enjoy this part where it's like, 
everything is starting to come together and it's starting to click. And I had that moment where I was like, I understand what this is. I still have so much more to figure out, but I, I finally have the big picture, you know, and that's a really wonderful feeling. And those are the feelings that push you through when other things become a slog, like first drafts, which I hate. That is not going to be fun. But I have to push through to get to the part that I do like, which is revision. So in order to accomplish this task of getting the synopsis written, I did have to take the entire week off of the other project that I was working on. I was trying to do both at once. And for the past few weeks, I've been, you know, allotting time to do both. And I was just like, I just need all my brain for this, especially with the deadline. And since the other project doesn't have a hard deadline, I felt comfortable um, just taking the week off and coming back to it. The other project is my 1830s project. So I'm going to be back on on that starting this week and give it, giving it this week to finish two more chapters and then probably another couple of days to clean everything up and then send it along. The other project I worked on very briefly this week was the revision of the anthology short story for the fantasy romance anthology. I'd gotten developmental edits back from the anthology editor, and they were pretty light, so I was able to knock them out, do a reread, and send that out. So lots of things happening this week. Also, in terms of things being a job and being a slog, the day job was just insane this week. I had email after email, both for my day job and for writing stuff. There was all kinds of stuff going on. Invitation to speak at a conference, marketing stuff. Oh, I got the I got the first pass pages for the Monsters We Defy from Orbit. I had a request for a marketing thing from Orbit. I had, you know, just a deluge of emails here, a deluge of emails in, in work and problems, like problems with client websites that I had to fix and spend time on that I didn't expect to. So everything else I was supposed to do and had scheduled to do that week got pushed back. It was kind of a nightmare. <laughs> so coming on the other side of it, hoping this week is going to be a little bit more gentle for me and my brain. Also news for the Monsters We Defy, the finalized cover came through. So I will link to that. Um, it's basically the same. It's just the the bottom quarter of it has changed. And I really, really like it. I think it feels really cohesive. I love the changes. I love the cover. And I'm really excited about that. So Monsters Redefy comes out in August. Pre-orders available now. I want to do some cool pre-order stuff, but we're still, you know, pretty far away from that. I know that the book will be sent out to authors for blurbs in the coming week. And that's really exciting. Other people will start to being able to see it. Um, we're doing something fun for the galley or the ARC, the advanced reader copy. Uh, so those are coming soon. And yeah, lots lots of good stuff coming there. In other marketing news for Savage City, I did schedule a book blitz for release week, which will be the first week of April, since the book comes out on a Friday, I think. Or maybe it was a Thursday, I don't remember, March 31st, whatever day that is. Um, I decided to do the, the blitz the next week. So if any of you are bloggers or booktubers or bookstagrammers and would be interested in the book blitz for Savage City. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. And yeah, that'll be fun. I, I have not followed up on any of the other marketing things. I owe emails to people and that's coming as soon as I can. This week was crazy. Also, my brother sent me a link to this podcast episode that was really inspiring. Uh, the podcast is called 70 Over 70 and they interview people over 70 years old, which is a great idea. Like, people who have lived, who have wisdom to share, 
Um, I'm going to start listening to more episodes and seeing if I can glean some wisdom from my elders. This particular interview was with the actor Andre DeShields, who won a Tony in 2019. I don't know, remember exactly how old he is, but he's over 70. He originated the role of the wizard in The Wiz on stage. And he won um, a Tony for Hadestown. Now, I love Broadway musicals, but I don't often watch, um, I don't watch the Tony Awards. But they did play a clip of his acceptance speech, and the interview was about what he said in the speech. And it was his first Tony, and he's really hilarious. Um, he didn't want to try to thank 100 people in like 1.5 minutes and get, you know, taken off the stage with the orchestra. So he wanted to craft something to be in service of his audience. He said, I would like to share with you three cardinal rules of my ability and longevity. One, surround yourself with people whose eyes light up when they see you coming. Two, slowly is the fastest way to get to where you want to be. And three, the top of one mountain is the bottom of the next. So keep climbing. And those really just kind of hit me. I was like, yeah, it would be so wonderful to surround yourself with people whose eyes light up when they see you coming. Like, why would you want to be around anyone else? I think that's good advice. The second one, slowly is the fastest way to get to where you want to be. He also says something about that, that uh, you know, people say that life is short, but life is long. And that's something I've actually said. I remember t- saying this to a friend of mine years ago, you know, that life is long. It's also short, but it's also long. And you think about people who find success very early in their 20s or teens, and how often, or even younger as a child, like child stars often have really difficult times growing up. And and when you achieve success later in life and are able to manage it and handle it and have a little bit of wisdom to bring to the table, I think you're just set up for a more positive experience. And so these are things I don't think that you can know in your youth, you know, like, I feel like I didn't start knowing anything until I was in my mid thirties. I don't know. I liked that too. And the third one, that the top of one mountain is the bottom of the next. So keep climbing. Aside from it hitting me as a rock climber, sometimes we think we're moving the goalpost. You know, you achieve something. You know, when I first published, I was like, I just want to sell. I forgot what my goal was. And then like 200 copies. I think that's what it was because I had heard that that most self-published books don't sell more than 200 copies. So I had set that goal and then I reached the goal and you set a new goal. And then you reach that goal and you set a new goal. And it feels like moving the goalpost because now selling 200 copies is nowhere near enough, you know, because I've pushed past that. So part of it is growth and expectations getting larger, but there's a downside to that. And And sometimes I struggle with how to feel about you know, things that happened that five years ago would have made me ecstatic that now I'm disappointed by. Something feels off with that, you know, like there's that natural desire to push, to keep pushing. You don't want to be stagnant, but also remembering how difficult it has been to get here and all of those milestones along the way that you were so grateful for. I think I should still be grateful for selling 200 copies. Like, for a lot of people, that's still the goal and it's still difficult to reach. I feel like it's wise to to honor that and to remember that, even as I continue to increase my goals and try to push forward and grow and change and, and climb the next mountain. So it's just a balance. It's understanding that when you reach a goal, 
celebrate and be happy about that and set your new goal. And then along the way, reflect on where you've been and reflect on how you felt when you were at the bottom of, you know, three mountains ago. How did you feel? And try to bring that into the next mountain. He also said something that hit me even more than anything else. And it was that his profession is about service. He's talking about himself as an actor. But I'm thinking about it in terms of all artists, you know, thinking of the artist as a servant, as being in service to the audience. I think sometimes that artists are looked at as selfish in some ways or self-absorbed. Sometimes it can be, oh, it's all about my art. It's about expressing myself and doing the thing that I want to do. And that can feel selfish. The other side of it is that, and especially the pandemic has taught us, you know, we need artists. We need books. Book sales skyrocketed. People were watching, you know, streaming a lot. They were watching television shows and movies. They were, they were consuming art. They were finding ways to take their minds off of their struggles and entertainment is part of that. And so I think artists are servants to people. I think art is extremely important. You know, I live with a doctor and that's obviously extremely important. And sometimes it's like, well, what is your worth? What is the value? Like, I'm not out here saving lives. That's true. But artists do save lives. Art has the ability to bring someone back off a ledge to make someone feel heard and understood. He also said that people live more authentically in the theater than they do in their lives. And I wonder if that applies to books. All of the things that you can do when you're reading a book that you can't do in real life, the experiences that you can have, the the fact that it creates this empathy for characters that you don't know, you wouldn't meet in real life. I don't know if it's true, if like I believe that people live more authentically in art, theater, books, music. Maybe the more is the problem. I think you can live as authentically in your mind as you do in the real world. Because, I mean, everything is coming from your mind anyway. So, you know, didn't they do a study that looking at brainwaves, that um, reading about something fires the same parts of the brain as actually doing it in real life? So maybe it's not more authentically, but I would venture to say that people live as authentically in stories, in fiction, in theater, as they do in real life. And that means that as artists, as people who create these experiences, we are are performing a service. We are helping people to live authentically. And thinking about some of the feedback that I've gotten, like letters from readers that I've gotten that have really touched me, that have proven this kind of thing to me. So yeah, I would encourage anyone who has been touched by an artist to reach out. You know, you might not get a response back, especially if they're very big and famous and important. But um, those messages help because this is a job and it's hard. And we're putting ourselves out there as much as we are serving others. You know, there is... a large part of it is still, you know, serving others by bringing parts of ourselves to the forefront by um, being vulnerable in different ways. And it gets difficult, you know, it's, it's, it can be really hard and reframing it in a way that allows us to think about the people that we're helping with what we're doing is a good way to sort of get through those difficult times. Other news 
the uh, BCALA awards are open. So this is the from the Black Caucus of the American Library Association for self self published fiction and poetry by Black writers, American Black writers, and I will have a link in the show notes. Uh, I won the inaugural award for best self-published fiction, and it was really impactful for me. I would encourage anyone who has a book that was from this year, self-published, uh, either fiction or poetry, and is an American-born Black person, I think those are the rules, but check the check the rules in the link to apply. I think it's a, it's a great award, and they've increased the monetary award, so it's not too bad, and it's very easy and free to apply, so please check that out. I think applications are... Through February of 2022. In television, we watched the miniseries Dope Sick, which is on Hulu. It's about the opioid crisis. And it was really good. I did not want to watch it. <laughs> My husband was really interested because this is actually his, his area of medicine. And, but it was, it was good. It's kind of dry. It's not, I was afraid it was going to be like depressing and bring me down. I mean, there are, it, it's very like serious, but it's really well done. I enjoyed it a lot if you're in the mood for that kind of thing. Performances were great. I saw, I don't pay attention to the Golden Globes, but I saw that Michael Keaton won a Golden Globe for that, which he absolutely deserved. I think Rosario Dawson deserved something too, because she was fantastic. So yeah, if you haven't seen Dope Sick, I do recommend that. I'm also watching, just started last night, um, a Netflix series called In From the Cold, which is about a, a single mother in her 40s, who was once a Russian spy who kind of left that life and now she's been caught and has been drawn back in. And it's got some sci-fi elements, which I did not expect because I, I just saw it on Netflix and I was like, oh, let's watch this and see, see what this is about. And then the sci-fi stuff came out. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> it's cool. I'm only on episode three, but I am compelled to keep watching it. It's a little bit slow, but I like it. It's... um. I'm intrigued to find out how it's unfolding. So my goals for the coming week, um, well, today I'm going to finish the synopsis, send it off tomorrow. This week, work on the 1830s project and um, seven city marketing. Going to chip away at that. I think that's it. I think I've, I've willed down the projects to something a little bit more manageable. So I hope that you have a wonderful week and I will talk to you next week. For episode show notes and to sign up for the footnotes newsletter and get the show notes in your inbox, go to myimaginaryfriendsshow.com. You can email me at podcast at lpenelope.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch the video episodes on YouTube. And My Imaginary Friends is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. For more fantastic podcasts, go to frolic.media slash podcast.